You're listening to The Cannabis Hangout, two girls, one bowl, and a podcast that is breaking the stigma of marijuana. My name is Brandon. And my name is Saba. We will be connecting with a community of cannabis enthusiasts by educating people, sharing stories from medical marijuana patients, and interviewing industry leaders while debunking cannabis myths. So we invite you to come roll with us while while we we break break it all down. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. On today's conversation, we have the pleasure of speaking with an entrepreneur who is a co-founder of Restart CBD, which is a dispensary in Central Texas. And also she's the host of a cannabis marketing podcast called To Be Blunt. We met her a few months ago when we emceed at the Can Women's Conference in OKC, and we loved getting to meet her and share her energy. And we are so thrilled to have her not with us, she's calling in, but here today to share her story and everything that she's up to in Texas. So guys, please welcome Shada to the Cannabis Hangout. Hey, Shada. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and and bummed I'm not in person with y'all in Oklahoma, but happy to be dialing in from equally, I'm sure, hot and sunny Texas. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yes, absolutely. Summer is here. That's um, right. Summer's here and the mosquitoes are also here. Uh, <laughs> it's horrible. Where do they come from, those things? <laughs> well, thank really you. Bad. Thanks for being here today with us. We're so stoked to chat with you, Shada. So let's just kind of get to know you a bit and start from the beginning. Where did your cannabis journey first begin? Oh, my gosh. Great question. So I feel like usually I'm talking like where did my professional journey begin? But I think for the cannabis hangout, I'll probably go to when was the first time I first experienced cannabis? And go. that for me was Austin, Texas, live music capital of the world. At least we coined ourselves that, right? And yes. so I grew up going to shows. I was a scene kid. For anybody out there who knows what the scene was like, that was me alive and well, keeping it going. <laughs> and side, side bangs and you know zebra dyed hair and all. But live music, you know, I think cannabis and live music go really hand in hand. And so when I was going to these shows, you know, it was very natural for people to have cannabis and to be exposed to it. And so naturally it was just around me and I happily accepted and it was love at first, you know, smoke. So I've been consuming cannabis for a long time. Obviously, couldn't really be as open about my cannabis consumption, especially living in Texas and working for other people. Mm -hmm. It was not something that I could come out and be like, oh, cannabis is great. It makes me feel awesome. But now working professionally in the industry and being a little bit more open and trying to help normalize and professionalize cannabis has allowed me to to talk about it more openly and more publicly. And it's something that I'm really grateful to be able to do because I know the stigma is still out there. And so that's what I know we're all trying to do is help erode that and show that, you know, cannabis has its fun side, but cannabis also has its place in everyday normal society for regular people who are kicking butt and working hard and looking to unwind at the end of the day. Absolutely. You nailed it right there. (laughs) You did. Really, (laughs) really though. So Shada, tell us what kind of consumer are you? Do you prefer flour, concentrates, edibles, a little bit of everything, a little bit of nothing? What's up? Oh gosh. I feel like I've been on the journey as I'm sure most people are, you know, when you look at the industry, the stats still show Smoking is the most popular way to consume. It's certainly the most bioavailable, meaning when you inhale it, you're going to feel the effects much faster than, you know, an edible or another type of consumption. So for me, smoking the flour, I really was into vaping probably the last like three years, but flour is always like supreme. But my consumption has adjusted. So lately, I really love edibles. I love a good 10 milligram edible before bed. And as far as smoking, I've really started to ease back from combustion, which is, you know, it's really easy. I Mm -hmm. I miss joints. I miss smoking out of a bong. In Mm -hmm. fact, um, somebody sent me a bong in the mail, a beautiful, beautiful piece. And I hit it the other day for the first time, not having hit a bong in a while, and I was like, damn, I really miss this feeling. I miss uh, the way isn't like, that a great going feels. back I when know. you haven't visited something? Even if it's like a week and then you go back and you're like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a little break and you're like, damn it, I really miss that. But I was going to say, I, I really have evolved into herb 
vaporizing. So okay, I've yeah. invested in the Volcano, my Ugh. desktop version, and I have their Mighty Plus. Love that. I need to get I volcano. use those I babies every day. Yeah. Like seriously, the best investment for anybody who's looking to continue smoking, but maybe try a more, I don't want to say like health conscious version, but kind of, but kind of, of yeah. yeah, but kind yeah. of, yeah. yeah. So Shada, tell anyone listening why that would be different than like ripping a bong or something else like the volcano and the yeah, process of that so combustion. Think of like when you are using fire, which is a lighter in most people's cases, I think there's like a progression, especially for my generation. Maybe y'all relate to this. Maybe the listeners relate to this. I had this one friend in college who was obsessed with using hemp wick because he didn't want the lighter fluids and the combustion of the fire directly touching the flower because it actually burns off a lot of the components of the the herb, of the plant itself. I mean, you're not able to control the heat essentially either, right? So it's just like you're torching something, which is great if you only have that to smoke and you want to consume cannabis, right? But when you start getting into the exploration of different ways to consume and different techniques, et cetera, again, that herb, I mean, sorry, that hemp wick is kind of like that progression of, okay, well, I'm going to light something else that's going to touch the flower. And so then when you're getting into herb vaping, the way that I explain it to our customers, because we do sell vaping devices at our retail store, is think of it as like an oven, right? So you're baking it instead of torching it. And so what I've discovered just from education and personal experience now, kind of, you know, exploring my, my own devices, you can hit different cannabinoids at different temperatures too. So people, for example, who are looking for more CBD out of their marijuana or are looking for other cannabinoids that are present in that strain there are certain temps that you can vape at essentially and turn your oven to to bake the cannabis at that temperature. So I think it's it's healthier from the perspective that you're not using combustion mm-hmm. and you're using more of a convection heating element. Mm-hmm. And I don't personally do it, but a lot of people like to take their spent bud, I guess is the best way to like use mm-hmm. proper terms, and then bake with it because it's essentially already been decarboxylated, yeah. which mm-hmm. I think is pretty cool. So, you know, it's like a twofer. Yeah, I started saving my bud for a little bit, and then I was like, uh, I don't really know what I'm doing here, and then I threw it all away. <laughs> so I got panicked. It was stupid, but Yeah, full disclosure, I don't save the bud myself either. I did at first. I was making a jar. I was like, okay, and I'm going to dump it out in here, but I feel like, you know, as cannabis has become more accessible too, I have mm-hmm. so much of it. What a horrible problem to have. I know. Like, oh, I know. What a time, right? Decarb <laughs> some other fresh bud yeah. in my, you know, ardent device. So there's there's always fun tools to play yes, around with. Yes. Yeah, that's that. a good explanation. Thank you for sharing that. So what would you oh, say, Shada, is like the reason you personally use cannabis for? Like how does it benefit you? And at what point did you find the medicinal value in it? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I got exposed to cannabis at a fairly young age. I think um, at that point, I was for sure looking at cannabis from a purely recreational perspective. And if I can be so bold to say, I think most people were prior to legalization and really even prior to hemp legalization, because I believe when hemp got legalized, it really opened up the dialogue for minor cannabinoids. And as the industry became more open, you started seeing more consumption methods and products and nanotechnology and microdosing hitting the market. So for me, originally, I just really liked cannabis over alcohol. Not that I wasn't, you know, a kid who was exposed to the house, the typical house party here and there. But for me, I really latched on to the effects that cannabis made me feel compared to the effects that alcohol was producing. And so I've, over the years, continued to pursue cannabis in lieu of alcohol. That's just been my preference, nothing against alcohol, but Mm -hmm. I'd rather be high than drunk. Plus, there are benefits from a health perspective. It's not, you know, I guess you could argue there's other health repercussions when you're inhaling things versus, you know, alcohol passing through your liver. Right, right. But I love the recreational side of it, so I definitely am a recreational user, but for me, And also kind of how we got to launching my CBD brand, Restart. In 2015, I was in a car accident, and I was hit by a vehicle as a pedestrian, and I fractured my pelvis in two places. So super unfortunate situation. 
obviously, you know, it was an accident. Mm-hmm. So it was something that was unplanned. But for anybody who's navigating chronic pain, that's uncomfortable. Whether yeah. it's your choice or your body or mm-hmm. something, you know, happened, it's just, it's just unfortunate to be navigating. And so when you look at the solutions that are out there on the market today, my own example was accident happened, fractured my pelvis, uh, was, you know, prescribed opioids, was doing physical therapy, was trying to do all the traditional Western medicine approaches Mm -hmm. to navigating and managing my pain. But the trade-off when I'm on opioids is I'm really zonked out and there are other negative repercussions when you're consuming pills at a high frequency and a longevity. And so I was in my mid-20s and my mom actually thinks, mom, I'm super fortunate. I know that I'm not typical. Um, I have an American mother and a Middle Eastern father. My dad's a first-generation immigrant from Iran, and my parents are the most supportive people when it comes to cannabis. So fortunately for me, when I was exploring recreationally, not that they were like, yeah, good for you, do drugs, like get high. They were like, wow, my child is, you know, going to college and she doesn't drink a ton. And if this is what she wants to consume, so be it. So when I was in the accident and going through traditional recovery, it wasn't that I wasn't also smoking and consuming marijuana. I just didn't have the education of dosing and different consumption methods and my endocannabinoid system and CBD versus THC. And so it was my mom who actually introduced me to CBD back in 2015, 2016. So this was before hemp was federally legalized. And I thought she was crazy. I was like, mom, I smoke pot. If there's CBD in this weed, like I'm good. I'm probably getting (laughs) enough of it. Right. And she was like, no, no, no. Try CBD on its own. Try it isolated. And so my mom was procuring CBD in raw form and making me topicals, oils, and that was essentially what became our foundation for our product line with Restart. But yeah, shout out to my mom. Wow, seriously. Aww. Shout out to your mom. What a G. She's just so, I think, in tune with natural homeopathic, you know, remedies and treatments that she was open-minded to what she had heard. And it was very preliminary. I mean, it's still really pre- preliminary. And we can't say certain factual things around cannabis and hemp versus marijuana, right, in terms of medical uh, claims and things like that. But anecdotally, my mom was like, oh, this can help with bone growth. Well, your pelvis is broken. Why don't you try CBD? Mm. And so for us, that was something that was so life-changing for me that I was able to get off opioids, be on a high-dose CBD routine. And it's, again, the, the foundation for how we launched our CBD brand. So for me, cannabis is both recreational and medicinal. But it comes down to what cannabinoid am I using? What's the form factor? Like I get asked a lot, oh, you know, especially early on, oh, did you stop consuming marijuana when you were consuming hemp? And purposes, I will be sitting in a CBD bath, smoking a THC joint, eating an edible, waiting for it to kick in, getting out of the bath, putting a topical on, and you can use all those products compounded just understanding, you know, how they work essentially. So that's been a fun journey for me and my family and our team to be, you know, both personally exploring, but then also championing and communicating to our customers and our community. I mean, that's how it should be. Like Mm -hmm. you guys using all of those products and experiencing and exploring different things like that. It just helps you learn more and and then be able to help tell other people about what's, but, but it's like your journey though. Like that's so fun that you get to like, you know, hop in the bathtub mm-hmm. that has like CBD smoke, smoke your joint, wait for the edible to yeah, kick in, like, get out, put like some CBD works, lotion. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And it's cool that well, you guys are doing. body is different. Yeah, and you guys are doing the work to be able to relay it back so that, you know, people have the education. And you, obviously that's why we're here. Education is huge. And so Absolutely. especially, especially because you're coming more so from a CBD standpoint and I mean, we'll get into the saturation of CBD, but it's super saturated in America. And I feel like, you know, when the wave hit, it hit so fast that people were just like putting stuff out there. So the fact that you guys come from a super medicinal standpoint where you're like, no, like we stamp this stuff because we've tried it and it works. I think that makes a huge difference to the perspective of just CBD, like minus THC aside. For sure. 
Setting up a new company can be difficult and confusing, but establishing a strong foundation with appropriate and necessary documents can help protect you in the long run. Yes, and with being business owners ourselves, Saab, we understand what it's like pretty well, I think. With BIC Legal, they practice in areas like family law, estate planning, business litigation, and review and draft contracts for your company while assisting in licensing applications and so much more. And with the Oklahoma cannabis industry thriving, the rules and regulations related to cannabis are quite strict. Jade Pebworth with BIC Legal, she really enjoys working with companies from the ground up. So if you're looking for good legal help in Oklahoma, she's your girl. Let's get back to today's episode. So Shada, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. I know you already kind of start, talked about Restart CBD some, but tell us a little bit about you and the podcast and whatnot. Yeah. So my background is marketing. I really love content creation. I love brand marketing. I love event marketing. So like most you know, high schoolers transitioning into college for those who pursue that route. It's okay, well, what do I want to do with my life? And I know that not everybody is fortunate to enjoy the degree that they get, but I majored in communications and marketing and I really love communications and marketing. So it was just part of my, you know, journey of, okay, well, I love this path and now what can I do? So I ended up working for a technology company and had a role doing events and partnerships for them. For about six years, so it was a tech startup that kind of grew to be pretty massive during my time with them. I was employee 13, and when I exited the company, there were 600-plus employees. We had offices in Austin, San Antonio, Texas. We were in New York City. We were international in Ireland and Australia, and so I got the front row you know, opportunity to watch this company grow from the ground up, so I very much associate and relate to this entrepreneurial spirit. My parents are both small business owners. So I don't think that it was a matter of if so much, it was a matter of when for me to start a business. Sounds like it. But yeah, but just didn't know what that thing was, you know, and how to kind of go from here to there. And so while I was working for other people, I was like I mentioned earlier, consuming cannabis, but not talking about it publicly. I was fortunate the tech company I was working for because we're technology. They knew all their support staff was pretty much smoking pot. So they they didn't drug test us, which was a blessing because I Mm would have failed pretty quickly on, but got good experience with them. And it was with them that I was the timing of my accident. So, you know, it's not, again, a comfortable or a great scenario to be in, but I do believe in a higher power. I'm a spiritual person and I believe that, you know, everything happens for a reason. And so for me to have this background and this experience and this support and this open family, that ultimately encouraged me to continue pursuing the cannabis industry. And so when we had found relief with our mom's like formulated products for me, it it started opening up the curiosity for my sister. So my sister, Sydney, I'm the oldest of three siblings she is a middle one and she is a collegiate, a former collegiate athlete for the University of Texas. And so she's kind of my yin to my yang. Oh, that's I'm so the funny. one who's like, what's in the brownie? I don't care. I'm going to eat it anyways. <laughs> questions later. She's like, what are the ingredients? How many milligrams? I'm going to get drug tested. I don't want to put that in my body. Yeah. And so it was, you know, us putting our heads together after she realized the potential for CBD for athletic recovery as well and kind of the was, hey, my mom made us this original formulation. We can start a brand. We're content creators. We're marketers. We love our community. We, you know, let's let's put some stuff together. And so we launched Restart originally as an e-commerce brand in 2018. So we were before Texas legalized. So some people are like, oh, you were like really smart to launch your brand. I'm like, I had no idea that it was going to legalize. I think we were launched even before it was federally legalized because federal legalization was end of 2018 and we launched in August of 2018. So it wasn't that the industry was illegal. It just wasn't regulated and it's still not regulated today, but it's at least, you know, legal, right? Mm -hmm. And on the books as like a possibility. So we put our heads together and created a website for Restart and started doing pop-ups and events. And it was very clear that consumers were interested, but they had a lot of questions. 
And when it first hit the market, like you're alluding to, everybody jumped in on it. So it became this super saturated experience where people were overwhelmed. They didn't know what was what. And here we were, these two, you know, knowledgeable, friendly females who wanted to educate you on hemp and cannabis and CBD. And so it really resonated. I think Austin out of Texas cities is there into cannabis. I think the city just passed a decriminalization bill. So, you know, we're making progress in that regard, even though we don't have full on legalization here yet. But we saw the traction of, okay, people are curious and we have a voice. Let's start talking about it. And so we launched Restart Officially, uh, e-commerce online transitioned into a brick and mortar. So we're now four years in. This year we are fourth year in business this August. That's and amazing. we thank you so much. We have a wonderful team. We've expanded. We brought on our littlest sister to the team. We have oh, a great retail cool. staff, a great warehouse staff, and we're still shipping our products nationwide. And we have our one brick and mortar location and trying to champion cannabis at every turn and corner and conversation, but especially here in our home state, because Texas does have a lot of work to do. So when I got in the industry, that leaned me into more advocacy and policy conversations. So, you know, calling senators and being involved in legislative sessions. And so I sit now on cannabis boards, both here in the state and at a national level and I'll try to influence the conversation. <laughs> yes, ladies. That's awesome. I, you have to take a proactive approach. I realize, yeah. you know, you can be reactive in the industry. Don't get me wrong. There's so many people who don't care about what they're putting in products and right. selling to consumers. But, mm-hmm. you know, we try to self-regulate as much as we can and try to help influence the conversation instead of just waiting for regulation or legislation to hit us. Yeah. And so being in that posture has really, I think, continued to bolster us as a leading brand in Texas, as leaders in the cannabis conversation. And so the kind of last point I'll make with my podcast I just, I love people. I love networking. I love community. And when COVID happened, we couldn't go to events anymore. And I lost this opportunity to connect with people and you know this real time situation. And because I'm a marketer, because I feel really compelled to like lead professional conversations, I was like, I got to talk about marketing. So I decided I would launch a podcast. I called it To Be Blunt. I remember the day I was driving with my sister and I was like, this is the name of the podcast. And within like five minutes, I, you know, had gotten these social channels and had kind of come up with the bio. That's the best the way it happens. Be. <laughs> yeah, very just like organic yeah, and natural. And yeah. so, yeah, I've been podcasting. It's evolved from marketing to more business. I think you have to understand the science to know what you're marketing. I think you have to understand politics to know what you're marketing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I talk to people from all, you know, aspects of the industry, but with that marketing and business lens, and I am about to release my 100th episode. I've been producing podcasts every Monday for the past two years. That's and amazing. And I'm about to celebrate two years. So Woo-hoo! y'all know the hard work yeah. that goes into it. It is yeah. not easy to do. So oh. I'm just grateful that I've, you know, had the space and the time and the support to continue doing it. And 100%. it's been a beautiful journey because it's great to, you know, learn from other people. I, I'm sure y'all relate to it. It's like selfishly, I get to have conversations yes. with really badass people. Yes. So, Yes. You know, that's that's the beautiful opportunity of it. And I'm just grateful I get to contribute to the industry. I, I like literally pinch me. I never thought as a Texas girl, you know, smoking <laughs> I, dope at, you know, these concerts yeah. that I would lead lead to being, you know, someone who gets to contribute to helping uh, everything happens. cannabis. So. It all happens for a reason. Seriously. That's so cool. It does. Um, yeah. So um kind of segueing back into the oversaturation of CBD and like why you guys started, what's your biggest piece of advice for people when they are searching for like good quality CBD? Because even as somebody who's in the industry and knows what to search for, it's very overwhelming when it comes to CBD. Like it's just there's shops everywhere. Oh yeah. And there's things everywhere and everyone has, you know, the pretty things. And so it's like in the marketing, sometimes people's marketing is really good. So how do you, what do people search for? How do you know? For quality. Yeah. What a good question. It's funny. I'll kind of start with this and it's sad, right? So hemp is federally legalized, which is great, but it is super unregulated. So the realities are people can put whatever they want in a bottle, in a cartridge, in a gummy and sell it to you. And, And like you said, if they have really good marketing, 
maybe that convinces you enough to put that product not only in your cart, but in your body. And it can be really hard to discern what is a quality product versus what is not. I think, you know, the point that I was going to share, we have a friend here who is a chemist and he works for a leading manufacturer in the state of Texas of, of hemp products. And we were asking, you know, about a cannabinoid and about test results and stuff. And he, his response was essentially, like, you know, test results are, are, are bullshit. Right. And it's not that there's not efficacy in a test result. It's just really easy to manipulate. It's variable because different, you know, testing facilities have different measures that they calibrate their machines to. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's not the best thing to go off of it's a component so you should absolutely check for coas but i find the flip side of that consumers don't really know how to read coas and the coas are all so different that it cannot be again the best avenue to my body my favorite thing aside from looking at the marketing which i think can help whittle down you know no offense to anybody who's you know, putting a sticker on a Ziploc bag and selling somebody a cookie at the farmer's market, but I'm probably not going to put that product in my body, just personally speaking, knowing what I know, right? Right. So looking at people's packaging, looking at their labels, what do they include? What do they not include? Um, For brands like us in Texas, I know other states have similar expectations, but in Texas, you have to be a license holder. And so to be a license holder in Texas to sell hemp products legally, there are certain requirements. You know, do you have a QR code on your packaging? Do you have where it's manufactured? Those can be good indicators. If that information is not present, that could be a red flag. But kind of on top of all of that, what I would say is do some homework on the brand itself. Like I know not every business is going to be like my business with my sisters, but we're very public facing We put our pictures out there. We put our bios out there. You know, it's not just super cool CBD.com and you never know who's behind the brand. It's no, these are business owners. They're women. They're local. They are advocating. Oh, Shada just spoke at the Capitol or, oh, Shada was just on this podcast. They see us contributing to the overall conversation. So hopefully there's more trust there for brands that are speaking up. I think it can be really hard for brands to speak up sometimes because there's such a lack of qualified information, but I don't think that that should hold brands back because for us, for example, I never want to be perceived as the smartest person in the room. I am a sponge. I am here to learn and I want to be on that journey with my customers. So yeah, like for example, right now, I mean, to be really transparent, we're having discussions internally on incorporating and introducing products that are HHC or THCO. You know, I hear mixed reviews in the industry, but I want to do the due diligence, not just to put a product on my shelf because it's trendy, but to do the homework and understand what are these new cannabinoids? How are they made? How can I source the best quality of it? Is this something my customers actually want? And then educating them along the journey instead of just, you know, selling people stuff to sell. Usually I, I reference it as transactions. There's a lot of brands out there that just want to make transactions Yes, yeah. and they don't actually want to communicate or educate or show up. And so I think for consumers, you know, find brands that you resonate with. If you're an athlete, you know, I know there's a ton of CBD brands that are super high quality that are really specific to athletes, or maybe you really want to support small business, or maybe you really want to support a women owned business. Like, there are quality brands out there that can meet who you are at That's a, right. you know, human kind of cultural level mm-hmm. For sure. um, and, and kind of champion those brands and also question those brands, ask them questions. So yes. we never shy when people ask us questions. I think that's just part of, again, being transparent. we're not perfect. The industry is not perfect, mm-hmm. but if we can talk about it together and move right. forward together, then we can start to establish some sort of checks and balance for the overall industry. Yeah. Right. That's very well said, Shada. So following that question, Thanks. how do you guys pick and choose the product that you want to carry in your store? Like what does that selection process look like? Yeah. So when we first launched, we were oils only. And I think that's also indicative of the timing for when we launched our brand. You know, when CBD first hit the market, there really wasn't smokable hemp flour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that wasn't something that we were like, oh, well, we're going to be this brand that includes these products. So for us, it kind of has been very organic, the natural progression. So like I mentioned, we were oil first, but 
not only were we oil first, we were isolate oil first. And that was partially due to my sister's influence because she came from this background of wanting to understand ingredients. She really came from a simple ingredient mindset, couldn't get drug tests or was getting drug tested, but couldn't fail a drug test. We really came out strong trying to educate because I think there was a lot of the market that was saying, oh, isolate is bad. Full spectrum is the only way to go. But that's not true. And there's a lot of people out there who want to experience the benefits of cannabis, but don't want even trace amounts of THC, which can make you fail a drug test. So Mm -hmm. we are really driven by first and foremost, I think products that we would put in our bodies and consume. So again, going back to kind of our inception, we launched with the products that my mom was making me, which were oils and topicals, right? And so those were our original products. And then as the industry opened up, starting to explore, okay, well, let's start selling flour. But then I think when you're getting into those avenues, it's okay, well, I'm not growing the flour. So who am I sourcing flour from? And really getting good at the due diligence to understand not just like who are these cultivators, but who are these vendors? Who are these manufacturers? Right. Who are these chemists? Like, who are all these people that are behind make the, up scenes. the ecosystem yeah. exactly for the industry to essentially bring a product to market? And so that was part of the journey. I mean, especially in Texas, the market opened up really fast, hot and heavy. I'm sure similar to how Oklahoma was when y'all first opened up mm-hmm. medical marijuana and everybody's doing everything. And you're like, okay, well, who do I trust and who do I work with and whose products are this, that, and the other? So really trying to get a grasp on new things as they're coming out, but also who is the source behind that. And so now, you know, four years in, we've done a pretty good job establishing who our vendors and partners are. We manufacture the bulk of our products, but we also work with partners to source products. Like I mentioned, flour, our vapes, we don't manufacture. And so, like I mentioned, we go through that due diligence process to ask these vendors quality how do you maintain your products? How do you extract these cannabinoids? How do you manufacture? What does this look like? And so if they can't educate us or give me answers that make me feel confident that they know what they're talking yes. about, we won't work with them. So it's definitely a journey as you start to realize the industry is going in a lot of different directions. Right. You've got Delta 8, like I mentioned, HHC, THCO. You now have the introduction of hemp-derived Delta-9 THC, which is really fascinating to me because in some regards, it's essentially like you have legalized cannabis in a national sense already. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are things that when we look at where trends are coming from, I'm looking at, is this a trend coming from within the industry or a trend coming from consumers? So that's kind of, you know, where HHC and THCO are one of those tricky kind of new ones for us where... When Delta A first came out, there was a lot of controversy around it. But again, there's, I believe, a right way to create Delta A and many wrong ways to create Delta A. So it's pursuing channels and paths that are doing it to the best quality in the market. And so that's how we pursue working with certain partners, listening to what's happening in the market, and then bringing those products onto our shelves and educating our customers on what they are. So that they have confidence in what they're exploring. Because yeah. cannabis is really exploratory. Going back to right. my personal experience, right? You know, I can handle a different dose than you can handle. And you might really respond better to smokables versus edibles. And so it's figuring out, well, what's the right product for me? And so as a brand, I always try to lead by, you can't take things away. If you illegalize Delta 8, then what does that say about other cannabinoids? There's over 100 plus in the cannabis plant. And I believe they all have some, you know, value to them. So it's how do we explore them in a safe way, give us parameters, whether it's better testing, whether it's better quality assurance, manufacturing processes, chemistry processes, X, Y, Z. But how can we learn about these cannabinoids instead of just removing them from the marketplace altogether? Because consumers should have choices if they want a Delta 8 experience or a Delta 9 experience or no THC and to be pursuing CBD or another non-psychoactive cannabinoid. Yes, that's good. Mm. I love that you're so big on education because we are too. But I also know that your customers really appreciate that because you don't really get that experience Mm -hmm. everywhere you go. And, you know, you hold on. You have loyal people to you for that reason. And I'm sure. Um, what Absolutely. would you say, Shada, is like personally say is one of your favorite, like blow your mind facts about the cannabis plant? Oh, man, blow your mind facts. Yeah. 
I feel like you have so much knowledge in you that do. brain of yours. And so what's the fact that you're just like, this is so cool? Yeah, I think what I'm most fascinated by, especially coming from the hemp industry side, even though I love the whole plant, right, is the amount of applications that hemp actually has as a crop. And being able to explore that and educate on that is something that is really, we're on the cusp here in Texas, but like, for example, you know, I'll never forget Patagonia produced it. I encourage everybody to go Google it. If y'all haven't seen it, it's pretty sure called like 50,000 uses of the plant. Patagonia Um, I don't want to say propaganda video, but it's like a healthy advocacy video on you know, did you know hemp can be used for this, that, and the other? And one of those is textiles, right? It's a Patagonia incorporated in percentage of their clothing and having certain hemp-derived um, clothing lines. But there's also other aspects of it when you're getting into paper and even remediation for soil. And so you're looking at it from, wow, how can we create a crop that uses less water than cotton, and can produce more output than cotton, for example, from a textile perspective. Yeah. And it probably costs less than cotton. This plant get in this position to begin with. So going into the propaganda and the history of cannabis in general and how we got here in the first place, it's been really fun to unravel. And so I think some of those facts of just how powerful the hemp plant is beyond just smoking it or extracting CBD from it, and so you're seeing a lot of that, I think, pick up across the nation, although it's a little bit harder to overcome because I think what most people don't realize is with hemp, you need infrastructure to do the paper milling of it or to turn it into a textile or to do X, Y, or Z other thing with it, right? So until we have that infrastructure, it's really hard to bring those aspects of this crop back into the United States, mm -hmm. which is why you see a lot of China and Russia predominantly being the leaders when it comes to hemp textiles, for example. So I just think hemp's a really cool plant that we haven't fully explored. And unfortunately, states like Texas, we're getting kind of caught up in, I don't know if y'all know this, but Texas is in the middle right now of a smokable hemp ban. And a Delta 8 ban. So specifically on the smokable hemp ban, our state, I don't think, realized we were going to smoke it when they legalized hemp in 2019. <laughs> but, you know, here we are. A little and naive so of them. That's <laughs> Unfortunately, getting overshadowed with the state's, you know, optics when it comes to legalization efforts in general and also the growth of the hemp industry. So. I'm trying to, you know, through my organizations and support systems and networks, continue to champion those types of conversations because that is in itself another, you know, multi-million, billion-dollar industry that I see will come to the United States or be more thriving in the United States in the future, but we're just scratching the surface right now. Yeah, wow. that's good. That's really like, good. Shada, you're so well-spoken. <laughs> it's wild. It's great. Yeah. So let's tap into the podcast a little bit. Um, you're our first podcaster to interview, which is super exciting. Um, growing a podcast can be really difficult, and we know and we feel like it was kind of untapped until pretty recently, I would say probably around the pandemic. What's been the biggest learning curve for you with starting and maintaining a podcast? Another stumping question. I think the biggest thing for me has been trying to be consistent with it and get like a system going. Right. Yeah. I I had the best intentions when I launched the podcast, but I think I severely underestimated the production and the maintenance element of oh, it. Yeah. I'm sure y'all can relate. Yeah, it's it. like a job it's for someone just, else that you pay them 100%, for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, honestly speaking, I don't make money from my podcast. I essentially pay every episode, my production team to edit episodes because to me, the podcast wasn't about monetization. Although now that's a goal for me as I'm right. hitting, you know, the two year markets. Okay. How can I continue to evolve? But for me, the podcast was very much about thought leadership. Yeah. And so originally I was like, okay, I'm going to interview people. This is going to be awesome. And then I was personally editing my interviews. I don't know if y'all are editing or not, but it takes a lot of time. Yes. So I gave that up very quickly and I, you know, stomached the, okay, I'm going to hire someone to do it. 
I should say I have a sponsor. Restart CBD is my sponsor of the podcast, so they help, you know, support it. But editing, I was like, great, someone else can edit it. Awesome. That alleviates, you know, X amount of time for me. But then there's all the in-betweens. I have to send the emails back and forth to the guests, and I've got to update the graphics, Mm -hmm. and I've got to send them the you know, cut their clips when it's done and turn it into a little audiogram, like all the little like juicy pieces to go promote it or to get guests. Those are all the in-betweens that they, they add up as time adds up. Um, it is very much worth it. So if anybody out there is like, yeah, I want to do a podcast, I'm like, cool, do it. But the biggest thing for me is just the consistency of it, which I am grateful to have been, you know, consistent with it. But I think that's the biggest hurdle when you look at podcasts. It's kind of comical. I hate to be this person, but like, you know, oh, cool, you heard of a podcast. And then it's like, after like 10 episodes, they're like, ah, I just, I couldn't keep it up. Yeah, honestly, the consistency, I will say, Brandon and I talk about this often, the consistency of having content lined up, like forget the social, forget the posting, forget everything, but just to have a podcast lined up that people are like, essentially people rely on them because it, you know, either either shifts, shifts their day or shapes you know, their mood or helps them with whatever, like education, all the things. And so consistency has definitely been, that's, that was the biggest thing Brianna had to teach ourselves at the very beginning was to be consistent. And I remember there was two times and it's not happened since those two times. That was at the very beginning where we literally were recording that Friday and we had to launch that Sunday. And we Mm. had like, Yeah, that's not fun to do because then you're like, okay, well, production and all the things. And if people are relying on you for that content, just to be able to even able to produce it, it's like, ah, it's kind of crazy. So, (laughs) yes, batching, batching has been a godsend. I am really fortunate now to be in a position where I don't have to do a lot of outreach to the podcast. So I have people who are like, hey, can I be on your podcast? Or I have a client. Can they be on your podcast? So nice. Yeah. super fortunate to Mm -hmm. have the inbound and so I just have created I'm getting better I think um for me you know to your mark the theme is automation yes (laughs) so trying to figure out how do I automate things so I'm trying to navigate you know more back-end stuff to the listener they don't really hear or see any of these details but it's more what am I navigating so trying to incorporate video podcasting which has been on my radar but (laughs) yes same other like uh, thing I got to do. Beast, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like that. It's like, every time I'm going to be asking, like, do you do video? I'm like, yeah, if you want to help me do it. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, then you have so to edit that video. <laughs> yes. Exactly, exactly. Totally so trying it. to figure out that. Backend platforms, I was using like Zencaster, but it's super buggy. So now I'm going back to Zoom to record. So just like stuff like that, that mm. can make my operations easier. Um, which then allows me to focus more on the fun side, which is the guests and the mm-hmm. conversation and the promotion of the episodes. But yeah, it's, it's been really fun, really humbling. Yes. I've learned Very much. so much yes. and practice a lot of discipline and consistency. Yes, that's... Can yeah. relate to all of that. Yes, I know exactly what you're saying and we're just sitting here <laughs> smiling at one another because we're like, yep, <laughs> that sounds familiar and that sounds familiar. We get it. <laughs> so what's a good marketing cannabis tip that you might have for somebody that's listening Marketing. Uh, you think something more helpful for online marketing, social media marketing, Ooh. or retail marketing? Let's say social yeah, media online presence most, because that's, yeah, that's where most people find people. Yeah, I would say I think right now you're seeing obviously a lot of accounts getting disabled. <laughs> I actually experienced my account getting disabled over the Thanksgiving holiday. I actually came up to Oklahoma for CanaCon and I woke up that morning Ugh. and my Instagram was down. And I was like, <gasps> Son of a gun. That like, is the worst, up. especially like, when do? it's like right at the day of an event. Brand, that's happened to Brand yes. like three or four times. We're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what is happening yeah. right now? And I'm the type of person, again, you can't tell from my personality, I'm not here to be like, okay, I'm going to use, you know, alternative words or yeah, shy away from no, talking about yeah. it or like using smoking content. I'm like, no, Instagram, you want to come for me, come for me. Yeah. But I think <laughs> I'm going to be as me. A brand, <laughs> as a brand, it can be really hard. I was just yes. talking to somebody about this, right? You know, I, I obviously, we all follow a lot of cannabis accounts and you 
think the brand is like at whatever the brand name is, but then you see there maybe it's like an underscore or a one or a variation of their brand handle. That's because they were disabled and they're on a backup account or their original account got taken down. So for whatever reason, the naming side can be difficult. But I do think that brands who are trying to kind of stay within Instagram's good graces can benefit from leveraging user-generated content and influencer marketing. So those are two of the things that we're practicing, we practice and are trying to do more of specifically user-generated content, which is getting your audience, your consumers, your community to create content for you. So like anytime I feel like I'm wearing, you know, my Converse, I'm always like posting pictures and tagging Converse. That's user-generated content. It's free content. So what can the brand do to inspire the consumer to want to post pictures of that content yeah. so for us as a brand we try to do you know very explicit call outs i think this is you know probably not the most crazy marketing tip but i'm actually as a marketer like professionally with a background in marketing i love basic marketing tips because people are like whoa that's like you just ask them that's great like ask your customers, like, hey, can you tag us on social media? Yeah. So you can prompt them by having calls to action, whether you're retail or on- online. Actually, and this tip works for both social media engagement and reviews, depending on if you have a brick and mortar or are trying to drive online reviews. Either way, you're interacting with a customer. If they're coming into your store or they're buying something online, you have their address. You're shipping something to them. You can include, we print little business card size notes that essentially say, you know, did you enjoy shopping with Restart CBD? Like, love your products? Like, tag us on Instagram. Here's our Instagram handle. And then alternatively, we also have the same cards that say, you know, did you have a good experience? Like, please leave us a review. We're on Google and Yelp. Here's a way to leave us a review. So again, it's, it's not like so earth shattering, but I think mm-hmm. we've lost the art of actually talking to our customers and getting direct communication with them is the best way to get feedback back from them. Whether you want them to engage with you more, write reviews for you, you know, do X, Y, or Z. So I like employing that from social media perspective because when the brand creates some of that content, sometimes I think that's where the brand gets odd. But if you're reposting someone's content, like in stories, for example, mm-hmm. you are kind of, you know, alleviating some of that burden, which the flip side of that is, unfortunately, it falls to the consumer who's posting that content of Instagram is going to flag their account. So it's not a perfect, you know, way to go about it, but it is a way to navigate it that can allow you to generate more content for yourself online and leverage user-generated content or influencer content where it's not you directly posting that content. Those are all great tips. Yeah, really great tips. I hope everyone listening (laughs) absorbed all of that. Yes. So, Shada, we like to ask everyone this question. What is a stigma you would like to see changed revolving cannabis? I think a stigma that I would like to see changed is around just normalizing it. I still feel... Unfortunately, the equals lazy, unprofessional drug addict. And, you know, it's something that I think I'm shielded from sometimes, if I'm being honest, being in Austin, my immediate family is super open and supportive. I mean, you know, a personal example of that is on Christmas morning, you know, my sisters and I were always, who's going to get the bong first, you know? (laughs) We have that that opportunity. But it kind of came, you know, more realistic to me from the stigma part recently, if I can be so bold. I don't think my uncle is listening to this podcast, unfortunately. But my uncle made some comments to my mom about, you know, what her daughters do and how he didn't want to have anything a part of it, like from a family perspective, like he doesn't want to talk about it at family things. Mm. And it just kind of, you know, was a gut punch of a reality check of like, wow, there are still people out there who, and he knows us, he knows we run out around business. Mm -hmm. Like he knows I was in a car accident and I used cannabis instead of opioids and alcohol. You're like, what else do you need to know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, going and making these comments. And so it's, it's just really bad that I know people can't be their authentic selves around their family members, around their peers, their work environment. I mean, and even another deviation of that, right? We experience a lot of customers who 
they want to consume cannabis, but they're getting drug tested for their job. Yeah. And they don't understand why hemp is legal, but yet if you fail a drug test because of trace amounts of THC, you could lose your job. And it's, it's uh, you know, we're trying to evolve the industry. It doesn't happen overnight, mm-hmm. but there is still a lot of negative stigma. And when you dig into, again, kind of some of the history, I was talking about the propaganda. I just did a webinar actually about this. I did a webinar on how to talk to your parents about cannabis. And I did a whole timeline of, you know, how we, how we started, how we got here. And it's so remarkable when you actually look at the history of cannabis and like how it became stigmatized in the first place. And you're like, no, that's not real. Like people really believe that propaganda and they did and they do. And so how do you unravel that? And like, I look forward to the day where I know hospitality licenses are up and coming in a lot of markets. I look forward to the day where I can go tour a cannabis farm and instead of, you know, touring a winery and yes. then having a bottle of wine at the end, right. I can sample some of their bud yes. and mm. uh, on their beautiful property for real, and um, not ashamed about it. Or yeah. a happy hour where there's, mm-hmm. you know, an ashtray for joints on the table. Like I, again, I don't drink alcohol a ton, if not like really infrequently, but I would love to be able to go out in public and consume cannabis with my girlfriends for happy hours. Yeah, like where, for like, sure. Like where does that oh, yeah. environment and opportunity happen? So for me, yeah. it really is around normalizing and professionalizing. We are women. We are mothers. We are daughters. We are friends. We are business owners. We are tax-paying citizens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. let us consume our cannabis openly and freely and don't judge me about it. Preach. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's some real yeah. shit. Well, Shada, I think this wraps up today's conversation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here with us and share your beautiful story. Thanks y'all so much for having me. I appreciated great questions and I always, you know, like to connect with the listeners, your audience. I think the community at large of cannabis that we're all cultivating is so important. So if anybody wants to reach out, like I always welcome conversations, follow up high fives. Like I, I just, I want to make it a more tangible experience and not just these women are talking about cannabis. Yeah. Like this is more than just mm-hmm. us. It goes beyond right. this. So thanks for the platform and the opportunity to tell my story and connect Absolutely. with your audience and keep doing what you're doing because you're making a real impact and it shows. So thank you, Shada. Before thank we you. hop off, what are your social media handles that you would like people to follow? Yes. Yeah, so for Restart CBD, it's at restartcbd.com, Instagram. For the podcast, it's to be blunt pod on Instagram or the podcast is to be blunt podcast, Apple, Spotify, etc. And then me, Shada Tarabi. You can find me on Instagram at the Shada Tarabi. And like I said, please feel free to reach out, high five, ask questions, keep the convo going. But I appreciate it again. Thank awesome. you. Yeah, thank thanks, you Shada. so much, Shada. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into another episode. And as always, brand stay medicated. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.